Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 11.50 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 14th day of December 2023, and this is episode 833 of Bitcoin. And as usual, lots of stuff to go over, so we're going to dump right into the Bitcoin news. Bitcoin, again, above $42,000 as the Fed holds interest rates steady, just like I thought they would, but I ain't the only one that thought that they would. Almost everybody else was saying the same thing. So not exactly like, you know, like a swami over here with my predictions. Bitcoin gained some upward momentum, picking up a 0.8% gain in the past hour, following an announcement from the Federal Reserve officials that the central bank would leave interest rates unchanged. And at the time of writing, Bitcoin is trading for, you know, 42000 and change. Quote, the Federal Open Market Committee seeks to achieve maximum employment and inflation at a rate of 2% over the longer run, the FOMAC said in a statement. Quote, in support of these goals, the committee decided to maintain the target range for the federal funds rate at 5.25% to 5.5%. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said during a press conference that the United States economic recovery has progressed more quickly than generally expected and forecasts from FOMAC participants for economic growth this year have been revised up since our September summary of economic projections. Even so, Powell added, overall economic activity remains well below its level before the pandemic, and the path ahead remains highly uncertain. <laughs> We've got to come back to that in just a second. Hold on. Let me highlight that shit because that's just insane. Investors were expecting to hear that rates would be maintained. Ahead of the announcement, the CME FedWatch tool showed investors believed that there was a 98% chance that the Fed would leave interest rates unchanged. The tool works by tracking the prices of Fed funds futures contracts, which investors use to speculate on or hedge against changes in the rates. Crypto investors tend to take the FOMAC lowering rates or leaving them unchanged as a bullish sign for their respective markets. That's because Bitcoin price has historically correlated with risk equities and central bank policy. The more favorable credit conditions are in the economy, the more likely BTC is to pump. When interest rates are low, investors are more likely to take their dollars and put them into risk assets such as stocks or Bitcoin. When rates are high, investors flee back to dollars. Case in point, Bitcoin rose aggressively to new highs from March 2020 to early 2021 after the Federal Reserve lowered its benchmark interest rates to just 0.25%. And in July, 
Traders breathed a sigh of relief. While, despite news that the Fed planned to raise rates, Bitcoin didn't immediately take a dive. The Fed started aggressively raising rates in 2022 to try and control a 40-year high inflation rate. It hiked them by 75 basis points four times, which negatively impacted the values of stocks, equities, and crypto. So this is sort of the dance that the Federal, uh, Federal Reserve Fund rate has with Bitcoin, but also anything else that's even remotely risky. When money is easy to get, you're more likely to take risks with your money, right? Now, I don't believe Bitcoin is a risk. In the short term, there's volatility. That looks like risks to legacy financial people. I get that. But for me, and for probably a lot of the people that are in this audience, Bitcoin is probably the least riskiest, but only because we have a much longer time horizon And we're looking at completely different things, but shit like investing in, I don't know, you know, building a new apartment building somewhere where you're not exactly certain if you're going to be able to fill all those units out, that's a risk. But when money is easier to get at lower interest rates, you're more likely to invest in that than if you're doing it now. So we've already seen the Dow at an all time high that was yesterday when after Jerome Powell announced what everybody knew he was going to announce that they weren't doing shit. They weren't going to lower, but they weren't going to raise all of a sudden the Dow jumped up to like 30, what was it? 37,000, something like that. And that was an all time high for the Dow. And when they start lowering rates, you're going to see the Dow go up even more as well as the S and P as well as NASDAQ, as well as anything else because they are going to have to start cutting in. Now, Lynn Alden, she was talking to somebody, and I can't remember I can't remember who, but she was talking to somebody and was saying, it, no, no, it was Kathy Wood. It wasn't Lynn Alden. It was Kathy Wood. She was talking to Peter McCormick, and she was saying that, she, you know, that her level of worry in the global macroeconomic situation of the world, she, her level of worry actually has gone down. And she was really worried. She gives a good reason why she, you know, she's relaxed on just how much she's worrying about this shit because the Fed reloaded with new ammunition. What is that ammunition? 5.5% interest rates. They can start tapering that back down all the way to zero if they need. And they can do that shit over the next five to 10 years. I honestly think that, you know, but it's going to be somewhere between five and 10 years from now that we will see zero interest rates again, unless something happens. And you know, this world, this is a clown show. Something always happens. So it'll probably be between four and five years that we see 0.25% rates again, because God only knows what kind of terrorism or child trafficking kingpin that ends up being I don't know, somewhere closer to the heartbeat away from the president that you might want to think. It doesn't matter. Something somewhere is going to break loose. And they're going to need to unload all of the ammunition that they've got back in their gun. So just be, you know, be prepared. But that's that's sort of the dance that, that we're doing with Bitcoin and the federal funds rate 
People say, oh, well, they're not correlated. Yeah, they are. Everything's correlated to the Fed funds rate, not because the instrument itself is necessarily dependent upon the Fed funds rate. Bitcoin certainly isn't. But we're so used to, as humans, wondering what Jerome Powell or whatever chairman of the Fed happens to be at the time, what they're going to do. And until we can escape that black hole of having to listen every single Wednesday at 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, you know, in the first week or week and a half of, of, you know, the month to figure out what the hell they're going to do, we're going to always have that problem, no matter what the asset is, no matter how uncorrelated it should actually be. It's always going to be correlated because we're correlated. Humans, the way we think about shit, we're correlated because we've been trained to be correlated. So whatever it is we hold is therefore correlated to whatever the hell the suits over at the Federal Reserve decide to do. Now, El Salvador, is their Bitcoin gambit finally paying off? We'll find out. Andrew Singer, Cointelegraph, El Salvador's controversial $117.5 million Bitcoin investment briefly swung into profitability this past week for the first time in two years. And it was a milestone because until then, not much had gone right crypto-wise for the impoverished Central American nation. El Salvador still hasn't come close to making Bitcoin a medium of exchange as was anticipated when it made Bitcoin legal tender in September of 2021. Moreover, It endured scathing criticism from many quarters, including the International Monetary Fund as crypto prices worldwide plunged because of Sam Bankman-Fried and all his little gaggle of idiots. In January of 2022, the fund urged El Salvador to end its recognition of Bitcoin as legal tender. But President Bukele simply dug in deeper into the crypto winter, making repeated BTC purchases throughout 2022. He followed a disciplined or foolhardy, according to critics, dollar cost averaging strategy. Pausing to say, I have yet to actually see proof of that. They, people write about this stuff all the time. Nayibu Kelly himself tweets it out all the time. Hey, I bought more Bitcoin. We're going to do a Bitcoin a day, blah, blah, blah. Prove it. I prove it. I haven't seen it. I have seen zero evidence of their holdings. Okay, I'm not saying that I, that I, you know, that I think he's a snake. I don't know. I've never met the man. I'm just saying it is a fact that I do not have definitive proof of their Bitcoin holdings for El Salvador and whether or not Nayib Bukele and El Salvadoran government in general has actually been daily cost averaging into Bitcoin. And until such time that I actually see that freaking evidence, then I don't believe it. But it is what it is. Moreover, <clears throat> President, you know, or, or in early December, Bukele took a leave of absence to prepare for the 2024 election campaign, but he hopped on Twitter last week for a victory lap of sorts to take a jab at his naysayers. It was a diverting sideshow, but it raised some real questions. Is the former president justified in declaring vindication given that El Salvador's BTC investment was only marginally profitable? Meanwhile, Bitcoin still hasn't been widely adopted by the Salvadoran public to pay for goods and services, nor is it used by Salvadorans working overseas to send money home through remittance. 
Finally, given that El Salvador remains a small, indebted, poor country, was it really responsible for its leaders to gamble taxpayer money on high-risk Bitcoin purchases? Bukele has his defenders. El Salvador was in desperate economic straits back in 2021. Nothing seemed to work. Quote, El Salvador took a bold and unprecedented move in adopting Bitcoin as legal tender, which was roundly criticized by the IMF, among others. Nigel Green, CEO of Diverse Group, told Cointelegraph, adding, quote, something new had to be done to end decades of financial instability and the reliance upon the United States dollar in the country. Nothing else has previously been successful in this regard, end quote. Bukele declared Bitcoin legal tender and provided the citizens of El Salvador the opportunity to adopt an alternative financial system that's different from the dollar. It takes a lot of confidence and belief to withstand the pressure of international creditors and economic policymakers to stick to that resolve, Paolo Arduino, CEO of Tether and chief technology officer over there at Bitfin X. At one point in 2022, El Salvador's BTC investment portfolio was underwater by more than 50%. However, Bukele stuck to his guns and he made it through, added David Tawil, president of ProChain Capital. Tawil expects other economically struggling nations to emulate El Salvador's Bitcoin example. Argentina could be next. At the time of writing, El Salvador has purchased 2,770 Bitcoin at a total average price of $42,436.22 per coin, according to the Nayib Bukele portfolio tracker, which follows the changes in El Salvador's Bitcoin stash. And again, how are they getting that data? That nobody talks about how we're getting this data. How is Nayib Bukele portfolio tracker actually getting the data? Because if they're just adding what, you know, adding up the amount of Bitcoin that he says that he bought, that is not proof. It is not proof. It is not proof. We have to be critical of these people. It is by not being critical and relaxing from being critical about every single thing that you see that we allow shit like Sam Bankman fried thing, you know, level things to occur. So it may sound like I'm taking a dump all over El Salvador, Naib Bukele. That is not why I'm saying what I'm saying. What I'm saying, why I'm saying this is because if we don't remain critical, we're going to get BF'd again. And I won't say what BF'd actually means here. Uh, <clears throat> It was running an overall profit of 4.16 million, which was up 3.5% as recently as December 9, when BTC was selling for about 44,000. Bukele's first bulk BTC purchase was made September the 6th, 2021, his last on November the 18th, 2022, shortly after FTX imploded. There were 12 bulk purchases in all, after which Bukele still committed to buying one BTC per day, but on December the 11th, the portfolio dropped underwater again, down 1.15% as BTC dipped below $42,000. Given the ongoing crypto market volatility, it isn't surprising that some ask whether Bitcoin is an appropriate investment for a sovereign government, let alone one so heavily indebted. Quote, Speculating with public resources in a context in which extreme poverty and food insecurity are increasing is irresponsible, Lourdes Molina, senior economist at the Central American Institute for Fiscal Studies, told Cointelegraph, quote, The taxpayers' money allocated to the implementation of the Bitcoin law 
has a high opportunity cost for Salvadoran citizens, end quote. <clears throat> Those funds invested in Bitcoin should have been used instead to finance public goods and services, Molina added. The new law has had other unforeseen effects too, quote, the economic risks derived from the implementation of the Bitcoin law persists, particularly those linked to the possibility of turning the country into a tax haven and facilitating money laundering. Other risks have been contained by the non-mass use of the currency. Okay, I'm going to pause here for just a second. I want to go back to this sentence. This, this Molina guy is bad news. Guaranteed connected to WEF, IMF, Oh, God, what is a Council of Foreign Relations, probably? I mean, the same, he's probably in the same nest as all the rest of these vultures are in. And I can tell because of this one sentence. Those funds should have been used instead to finance public goods and services, Molina added. Okay, to find, instead of buying Bitcoin, let's do what we've always done. Use the money to finance public goods and services. That's what they already had been doing. And nothing was working. Nothing was working. Nothing was working. You could finance all the public goods, whatever the hell that actually means. Public services, I know what that means. That means maraudes. Public goods, not exactly sure. That's a little, that's not very clear. So that's my first red flag as to why Molinas is probably one of the IMF, WEF, Council of Foreign Relations idiots. Not really defining his terms. Okay, second red flag is that this already has been done. It's been done for decades. El Salvador has been impoverished for decades. They keep doing, you should, instead of, instead of doing something different, you should have done the exact same thing. They've already been doing it. Has it worked? The answer is a clear, resounding no. It has not worked. Nothing has worked. You keep throwing good money after bad, and here this Molinas guy is suggesting that you do the exact same thing again. Throw more good money after bad. Where would that money have come from? Now, it would have come from loans from the IMF and the World Bank. It's the same thing over and over. It's like eating at the same cafeteria over and over and over again. Sure, they'll change the, the dishes every single day. But when you eat there fifty-two every day for 52 weeks of every single year, you know that on Wednesday, it's going to be baked fish. It, it it's, doesn't matter. It, nothing changed. So this Molinas guy, I automatically, I don't even listen to what he has to say. Now, let's finish this off. George Selgin, <clears throat> Senior Fellow and Director Emeritus at the Center for Monetary and Financial Alternatives at the Cato Institute, told, or rather, and Professor Emeritus of Economics at the University of Georgia, told Cointelegraph that the country's monetary experiment, as initially conceived, went well beyond a big crypto investment. Quote, El Salvador's Bitcoin scheme wasn't sold as a risky investment gambit, though it was certainly that. It was an attempt to achieve the Bitcoinization of El Salvador's dollarized economy, and with respect to that end, it has been a complete, complete flop. Pausing again to say, no, that is not 
why that was done. It was not to achieve Bitcoinization of El Salvador's dollarized economy. It was to give a secondary economic set of rails and payment options for the people of El Salvador. It was, it was from the get-go, there was language out of El Salvador, especially out of the president's office, that the free market was going to make a decision. And that the only way for a free market to make a decision is to have choices. It was not to supplant the dollar. It was not to Bitcoinize Bitcoinize the nation. It was to make a simple start in doing something different. So George Selgin, he can go flush himself down a toilet as well. In late 2022, Cointelegraph reporter Joseph Hall traveled to El Salvador to see if he could survive in the country using Bitcoin alone for payments. And for two weeks, quote, I tried to pay for every single thing with Bitcoin or Satoshis, small amounts of Bitcoin. Spoiler alert, I failed. Again, pausing to get people to understand where this article seems to be going. You're not going to ever be able to do 100% of what you thought you were going to do, whether it's survive on Bitcoin in El Salvador or take 15, you know, like the the person that thinks that they're going to have, they have to take, like they're going to fly from Los Angeles to New York to Hamburg and then down to Italy. There's like three or four flights involved. And this is a person that expects everything to go swimmingly and that there's got going to be any problems, and that's just airline flights. And this moron decides that he's going to go out down to El Salvador and pay for everything in Bitcoin and say that it's a failure because he was unable to do that. If you ended up in Italy from L.A. with these stops in New York and Hamburg, even though you had to take another flight or your flight got delayed by a day, if you still ended up there, then it worked. If this guy was unable to make a single Bitcoin purchase at all, then he's the failure because I know for a fact that that shit is being taken in El Salvador. But just because you go into every single shop and expect every single shop owner to be doing the thing and then declare it a failure because you found one or two or even a couple of handfuls that didn't, that's on you. That has nothing at all to do with Bitcoin. You see where this article is going? This is one of the reasons why I, I sometimes Cointelegraph is okay. It's other times I get shit like this, but whatever. In El Salvador, the United States dollar remains the overwhelming payment medium of choice, Selgin noted. For all, save some Bitcoin tourists, it isn't used by Salvadorans living overseas to send money home through remittances as that was billed as a natural use case for Bitcoin. Quote, why any other country would wish to follow such an example is beyond me, Seligan said, and he can already flush himself down a toilet. Still, it's important to put the country's Bitcoin expenditure into a larger context. It is just one element in a plan to make El Salvador economically independent. Bukele had also implemented a number of bond buyback programs to restore the country's debt profile and expand the tax base by welcoming immigration and returning citizens to the country, Paolo Arduino told Cointelegraph, adding, quote, El Salvador now has among the best performing bonds among emerging market countries and is seen as a safe and attractive place to visit. The country's decision to adopt Bitcoin has brought them investment, tourism, and international recognition. 
In order for the project to get off the ground, Bukele had to pitch it with high, maybe excessive, expectations, Ta Will told Cointelegraph. No one really expected that BTC would be a medium of exchange in the short term. That part of the experiment was premature, Ta Will continued, mostly because Bitcoin still has usability shortcomings. It's not simple enough yet. It's not as easy as a credit card, but it will get easier, he predicted. In the meantime, the positive return on El Salvador's BTC investment portfolio, if it persists, will likely catch the eye of other sovereign nations. Inflation-wracked Argentina, for one, has a new president, Javier Millet, who is well-disposed towards crypto, and he could borrow some elements from El Salvador's BTC pioneer program. Many people remain unbanked in Argentina, so Bitcoin could be helpful. The lack of retail usage remains the sore point. Much was made two years back about El Salvador's efforts to encourage its citizens to use Bitcoin for retail purchases. The government spent millions distributing Chivo wallets and small amounts of free BTC to citizens, and in the end, the results were disappointing. Doesn't that detract from Bukele's legacy? Quote, Whenever you introduce something very, very different, you cannot expect instant success and instant results. People forget that when credit cards and debit cards were first introduced, it took 10 years for them to gain acceptance in Europe. And it was not until 20 years later that we saw full coverage, answered Paulo Ardoino. As for investing in risky assets, governments make investments all the time. Of course they do. But El Salvador experienced significant ire more than for anything else, the the whole thing about investing in Bitcoin. Why the IMF, an organization whose mission is to achieve sustainable growth and prosperity, fears a future-focused solution is baffling, he added. The S&P 500 entered a bear market for the first time since March 2020, continued Green. Many investments were underwater, but savvy investors don't panic sell during bear markets. Overall, it's still too early to say whether or not El Salvador's Bitcoin journey is a success. It's a mixed report, but then it always would be when launching a new legal and digital tender with no roadmap to do so, commented Green. Ta Will called the country's BTC gamble a 100% success. Look at the cost basis for its BTC purchases. Those may never be seen again, at least by any sovereign nation. El Salvador was prescient. Conversely, economist Selgin argued that the small profit made so far on El Salvador's Bitcoin splurge is largely irrelevant. Things could have gone easily south. Quote, no responsible government places risky bets with tax funds and is utterly so irresponsible for a poor country to do so. Whether the gamble pays off or not is really beside the point. Uh Molina also gave El Salvador low marks for its Bitcoin venture. To this day, the arguments of attracting investment, generating employment, or promoting financial inclusion have not been fulfilled. The only thing that has been socialized is the cost that the citizens had to assume, as she said. Oh, it's a she. Arduino, by contrast, judge El Salvador's Bitcoin pivot as a success so far. Bitcoin has brought the country ancillary benefits in tourism and investment, and now El Salvador is developing an entire financial industry based on the digital asset. On the current trajectory, El Salvador is poised to be the new financial center for Latin America. 
Green referenced a September 8th report from Spanish banking giant Santander that lauded El Salvador for its new market-friendly approach on policy management and an increasing willingness to repay debt. The rise in Salvadoran bond prices almost defies gravity, commented Santander, and the country may soon be able to access euro bond capital markets. It should also be remembered that El Salvador has a bleak history on defaulting on its international debt obligations, Green added, but is now unlikely to do so until at least 2029, according to most of the experts, which is pretty remarkable considering the history. All right, so I think, personally, I think Cointelegraph kind of went a little bit on the negative side with with this particular article, but it was at least kind, you know, it was kind of balanced. Um, but these people, this, this Molina chick and this, you know, this other person, I, I can't even remember what, what these guys names is. Cause I've already dismissed them as human beings. I just see them as rattling bags of carbon that aren't in my soil. So therefore are a waste of my freaking time in either event. <clears throat> um, the ancillary benefits are something that I don't think anybody really looks at. Just the sheer amount of marketing that Naib Bukele got for free. Like, just just that. Let's not even talk about the BTC investment as an investment. What if he had just lied about the whole thing and said, we're investing in BTC? And he got everybody to do his mark to talk about to say the name El Salvador. He got the IMF to repeatedly talk about El Salvador. He got the World Bank to repeatedly say the words El Salvador in the news. New York Times, Washington Post, everybody they kept saying the name El Salvador, El Salvador, El Salvador, El Salvador. That's the whole one of the whole notions of marketing is repeated. Well, repetition of a name, whether it's a brand, whether it's a product, or in this case, whether it's a country. And then pictures of El Salvador started coming down and you realize, man, this place is really pretty. And then all of a sudden, people that want to go to pretty places that have money started going. In my opinion, and I don't know if Naibu Kelly was like this savvy, you know, like he he figured out that this was all going to happen. I'm going to chalk it up to the fact that lucky happenstance that all these idiots fell into line and started doing Bukele's bidding by saying the name El Salvador and continuously talking about El Salvador and running pictures of El Salvador. I don't think he actually planned for that to happen, but it did. So even if Bitcoin stays where it is for the rest of the time and he never recovers any more than 1%, and just never sells. He, the name El Salvador is going to be in the news and it's already done wonders for the country. I'm just saying, man, it's, these, these are the things that I look at. <laughs> these are the things that are important. Now, before we uh, hit for the numbers, <clears throat> let's do this one because we're still going to be hanging around uh, <clears throat> Central America, this time just a little further down south, but still on the West Coast. Bitcoin Jungle enables 200 stores in Costa Rica to embrace Bitcoin. This is from the BTC Pay server blog. Bitcoin Jungle is a community project in Costa Rica that provides education, technology, and resources needed for local businesses to accept Bitcoin as payment. 
The goal is to create and expand and maintain a circular Bitcoin economy in Costa Rica. And we want to make it as easy as possible for merchants to accept Bitcoin payment both on-chain and over Lightning. BTC Pay Server was a natural choice for us. It's a well-designed, mature product that just works. It's intuitive enough that anyone can use it while having the depth needed to satisfy more advanced users. It's stable enough to deploy without constant worrying, yet innovative enough to continue adding new features without making the product worse overall. Whenever a payment is collected on BTC Pay Server, it should be immediately forwarded to the Bitcoin use or the user's Bitcoin jungle wallet. And to achieve that, we've leveraged BTC Pay Server's webhooks feature. Each time an invoice is paid, a webhook is triggered. The webhook is responsible for forwarding the Bitcoin received in the merchant's wallet using the LN URL protocol. The webhook also allows us to split up the Bitcoin in various ways. The service provider can optionally retain a processing fee and tips received can be split up and delivered amongst staff members evenly. This happens in under a second and is perceived to be real-time by the merchant. We also wanted our BTC pay server to use the BTC slash CRC price set by Bitcoin Jungle Wallet to avoid mismatching in fiat calculations between the point of sale and the wallet. And to achieve this, we created a custom rate provider in our BTC pay server instance. This was straightforward processing, copy an existing rate provider, and then modify the code to make an RPC call to Bitcoin Jungle to retrieve the current price of BTC. Overall, the integration was pretty straightforward. The main challenge we faced was that the handling of on-chain payments received as we decided to forward all payments over the Lightning Network. We automated this case utilizing Lightning Loop. Prior to our BTC Pay Server integration, we only offered a payment link to our users, which is powered by Galois. The integration greatly enhanced the user experience of merchants. BTC Pay Server allows them to create multiple points of sales, say if they have multiple locations, and track them all separately. Integrate with popular e-commerce platforms, have a login to view and export invoices to Excel for accounting, and accept payments on-chain in addition to Lightning. So the results? We have received far fewer support requests than expected after our integration with BTC Pay Server. The whole process is pretty seamless and intuitive. Any business owner can start accepting Bitcoin payments in under two minutes. To date, we haven't received any feature requests that were not already planned by the BTC Pay Server dev team, and almost all have already been implemented anyway. Our single BTC Pay Server instance of approximately 200 stores supports totaling 5,000 invoices to date. It continues scaling without any issues. And in conclusion, one thing that we learned was that it's crucial to allow users to pay on-chain, even if you prefer the Lightning Network. We found some visitors to our circular economy don't yet have a Lightning Wallet. They see the Bitcoin Accepted Here sticker at a store, get excited because they have Bitcoin, usually on Coinbase, but then scan a Lightning QR and can't pay the merchant. Once we added on-chain capabilities for merchants using BTC Pay Server, we noticed an uptick in payments. All right, so let's go back to this one. The whole gist is that the Bitcoin Jungle Wallet integrated BTC Pay Server 
and there and now they have 200 stores in Costa Rica doing the thing. A single instance of BTC pay server, not two, not five, not 60, not one at each merchant, one. One, is it centralized? Yes, 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 it's centralized. Do we hate centralization? Of course we do. But we also are not so foolish as to understand that sometimes centralization has its purposes. The goal, the ultimate goal is to have no centralization anywhere. But this is like saying, this is like the the Molinas person that went down to El Salvador and tried to live 100% on Bitcoin alone. And probably she didn't even really know how to use it, doesn't really know how it works, and also doesn't know where all the merchants are. But she didn't say anything about that now, did she? But that is her expecting her to have a completely seamless experience in El Salvador, spending nothing but BTC at every merchant that she wants to go to. That's not going to happen. Full decentralization of the world is not going to happen. That's not the destination. That's that's the goal of the destination. Even if you get there, you can't keep it decentralized. It's There's nothing wrong with having certain aspects of centralization along the way towards the goal. And the goal is being as much decentralized as you can possibly get. We're not moving towards decentral or centralization. We're moving towards decentralization. It's the journey that's important. It's not the goal. And if we can keep that in the back of our head, then we'll be able to, you know, easily digest when somebody says, yeah, well, it's a centralized wallet. And instead of throwing up all over the place and shitting our pants and having to go home and change them all the time, every time somebody says that, we might actually just be able to say, centralized for now. Let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities, but first, let me let me just say thank you to my sponsors over here in the chat in Zapstream. Kid Warp with your two point one thousand satoshis, thank you, and Npub with some numbers and letters. I'm not going to read it with 121 sats. Thank you, you're supporting the show. Yegro with 69, you also are supporting the show. Thank you to all these people. I really do appreciate it. Now, the price of energy in Japan, the price of tea in China. No, we're talking about energy. It's up. It's up today. I guess it has something to do with the Fed funds rate. All right, oil. West Texas Intermediate is up 3.14%, back above 70 bucks to $71.65. Brent North Sea up 3.19 to 76.63. Natural gas is up 2.57 to $2.39 a thousand cubic feet. And natural gas, oh no, sorry, gasoline is actually up 4.7% to $2.12 a gallon. Gold is up back over $2,000. So I'm sure Peter Schiff is happy. 2050 no two dollars $2,050.10. $2, Silver is up damn near seven full points today. Platinum is up four and a half, no, four point nine. Copper is up two point three. And check this shit out. 
Palladium with double-digit gains of 15%. I don't know what the hell happened in Palladium markets today, but apparently they're very, very happy over there. All right. Agricultural futures are all in the green except for cotton. The only loser today, down half point. Biggest winner today is going to be wheat, 1.86% to the upside. And live cattle are also up a third of a point. Lean hogs are up, holy shit, over 5.5%. And feeder cattle are up uh, 0.87%. The Dow is up a quarter. S&P is up 0.2 points. And NASDAQ is the only one in the red, down 0.2%. And the S&P mini is up 2.5%. What are the bonds doing today? Well, all the yields have dropped. But you should have expected that because the Fed funds rate at least stayed the same. If they had raised them, then we would have seen some raising. However, all the bonds, yields are all down. 30-year is now yielding only 4.04%. The 20-year is yielding 420. All right, DXY. Wow, boy, kind of like taking a little dump today. Holy shit. It is down to 102.9%. No, 101.93, and that is the ICE US dollar index. So the dollar cooled its heels after Jerome Powell said what Jerome Powell was going to say. All right, where are we at? $43,055.17 is the price of one Bitcoin. Average transaction value is 0.49 BTC. Median transaction value is back up to just under $300. Block times are low, 9 minutes, 25 seconds. 2.22 BTC, holy shit. Sorry, I caught the other number. You'll you'll understand here in a second. 2.22 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. Overall, in the last 24 hours, the amount of fees alone, 339.39 BTC. That's a lot of cheddar. 7.34% increase in hash rate brings us up to 523 exahashes per second. Dogecoin, your shitcoin indicator, is at 9.7 United States pennies. Market capitalization for Bitcoin is $840 billion. That is 6.18% of gold's market cap. Uh, You can get 21.4 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin. Uh, We have... Uh, $215.4 million in the Lightning Network valued at 14, no, valued at 215, hold on, let me do that again. $215.4 million is the value of the Lightning Network, which is being run over 14,597 nodes that we can see, sporting 60,907 payment channels that we know about, and 80.2% of all that's being run over Tor. Mempools, as you might imagine, are, well, actually not as bad as they were last night, honestly. Only 290 some odd blocks carrying 271,000 transactions waiting to clear at transaction cost of 173 Satoshis per V-byte. That's going to cost you about $10.50 per transaction, as long as it's a normal transaction, for high priority. Low priority you're going to pay about $9.62. That's 160 Satoshis per V-byte. But anything under 17.2 Satoshis per V-byte are being purged from mempools around the world. We have a hash rate on mempool.space reading 502.9 exahashes per second. So do with that what you will. 
Dubrovko gave me a boost on the Tuesday show. 1390 says, if I have ever heard a story that is rather convincing to rename the interior, the department of shit bags, this is it. Beijing called get your boys in line. <laughs> Saint Sands sats with a thousand says good analysis. Thank you. No, thank you. Uncle swim of 420 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. God's death with 370. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. Pies finishes us out. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. And that's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Ledger does it again. Their 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 brilliance is shy is a shining star upon the sea of people that are doing shit right. Why? Because as usual, they've set their boat on fire. <laughs> These guys don't know when to quit. They don't know when to quit. Check this one out. As if it wasn't bad enough. Right, we've got this one out of Cointelegraph, prescient jaw. <clears throat> Ledger patches a vulnerability after multiple DApps using the connector library was compromised. Yeah, the whole library compromised. All the DApps that connected compromised. Not all of them, but most of a lot of them. Let's find out more. The front end of multiple decentralized applications using Ledger's connector, including Zapper, SushiSwap, Phantom, Balancer, and Revoke.cash were compromised today, December the 14th. Nearly three hours after the security breach was discovered, Ledger reported that the malicious version of the file had been replaced with its own genuine version around 1.35 p.m. UTC. Oh my God. Ledger is warning users to always clear signed transactions, adding that the addresses and the information presented on the Ledger screen are the only genuine information. Quote, if there's a difference between the screen shown on your Ledger device and your computer or phone screen, stop that transaction immediately. SushiSwap Chief Technical Officer Matthew Lilly was among the first to report the issue, noting that a commonly used Web3 connector was compromised, allowing malicious code to be injected into numerous dApps. The on-chain analyst said that the Ledger library confirmed the compromise where the vulnerable code inserted the drainer account address. All right, people lost their money, dudes. This isn't just like, oh, it looks like there might have been a problem and thank God, sigh of relief. No, people lost money. Uh, Lily blamed Ledger for the ongoing vulnerability and compromise on multiple dApps. The executive claimed that Ledger's content delivery network was compromised with JavaScript being loaded from the compromised network. Jesus Christ. Ledger Connector is a library used by many dApps and maintained by Ledger. A wallet drainer has been added, so draining assets from a user's account might not happen on its own. However, Prompts from a browser wallet like MetaMask will display and could give malicious actors access to the assets. Yay! Lily warned users to avoid any dApps using the Ledger connector, adding that the Connect kit is also vulnerable and that this isn't a single isolated attack, but a large-scale attack on multiple dApps. 
Polygon Labs, Labs Vice President Hudson Jameson said, even after Ledger corrects the bad code in its library, projects using and deploying the library will need to update before it's safe to use dApps using Ledger's Web3 libraries. Ido Ben Natan, co-founder and CEO of Blockade, told Cointelegraph, quote, Ledger users are not at risk if not transacting. <laughs> it's not exploitable on prior approvals. Revoke.cat specifically is affected, so don't interact with it. The number of impacted funds is hundreds of thousands of dollars over the past two hours. Many websites were still affected and users are getting hit, end quote. Ledger acknowledged the vulnerability in its code and said that it has removed a malicious version of the Ledger Connect kit, adding that a genuine version is being pushed to replace the malicious file now. Okay. There's no way you can trust this company. There's just no way you can trust this company. You cannot trust Ledger. And I have not used the last time that I had to actually purchase a Ledger Mini. I can't remember Mini X or whatever the hell it was that I had. I that was my third Ledger purchase, and it had one use, and that was to get the funds that was held. And I didn't. If I had known better at the time, I would have just used the seed phrase in an Electrum wallet. That's what I should have done. But there's always, you know. We learn as we go, and it, there, we I will always be learning in this space, and hopefully everybody else will too. Anybody that tells you they know exactly how to do all this shit all of the time, they're lying to you because they don't. I didn't. I spent $100 on a ledger because for whatever reason, I thought that that was going to be the only way that I was going to be able to transfer the Bitcoin held in the keys generated by my ledger wallet to a cold card wallet that I bought from CoinKite because I bought them both on the exact same day because I was done with Ledger. And this was before the email hack. This is this was before all the rest of the bullshit. I got tired of not being able to update Ledger. I didn't like the fact that they added Ledger Live because it didn't used to be that way. I didn't like any of that shit, right? So that's why I bought a cold card from CoinKite. Rodolfo Novak, he's paranoid about security. He's always paranoid about security and he built cold card because he's paranoid about security. That's the guy that I want to do business with. If you want, I, there's a lot of people that are angry at cold card because they swear up and down that it's not open source. It is. He just doesn't want you to be able to clone it and build another cold card from it and sell it on the open market for you to make money. No matter what you think about intellectual property, the source code for cold card is open source. There, the, the problem that people are having with it is the fact that he doesn't want you to make money off of it. I actually don't think that that's all that bad. If you want to build your own, he even provides plans. He tells you what shit you need to get. There, I think there's a couple of videos out there that show you how to actually build a cold card from the, the, from the parts list. And then you can load it up with the software, which is indeed open source. And as long as you use it all by your lonesome just for you, you're fine. If you mass produce it and sell it on the open market, he's not going to like that. So he put a license provision to stop it. 
But to say that that means that the code is not open source is in fact wrong. The code is very much open source and you can go read every line of it off of the GitHub. It's not closed source. It is open source. What's closed is the license. And you can, if you have a problem with that, I understand that. And I'm not going to get in your way of having a problem with that. But if you're going to tell other people that you're mad because you can't make money by copying his code, so you tell them that it's not open source code, that's incorrect. That's not ethical. You have to tell the whole truth, not just part of the truth, okay? But that was the last time that I ever had anything to do with Ledger. And I will never have anything to do with that company ever again. I don't think you should either. They have security issues and have had for years. And if you want to trust your Bitcoin with a company with this bad of a security record, go right ahead. I won't stop you, but I will warn you, don't do that shit. Get as far away from these people as you possibly can. Run, don't walk to the nearest exit, seriously. And while you're doing that, while you're running and not walking to the nearest exit to get away from Ledger, do not trip and bust your ass because you might end up in the hospital. But if you do, Crowd Health is here for you. Crowd Health crowdfunding platform integrates Lightning with the Breeze SDK. I understand this is a little bit old, but if you do not know, we have a kind of like a health insurance company for plebs. It's, I think it's like 250 bucks per person per month, and they will help you get your hospital bills down by advocating for you with the people using with the health hospital people using their language. Because if you try to do it, they'll send you to the code person and the person will fill your ears with gibberish on how the, how, how code number 16522 needed to be $2,700. You don't know what that code means. And they know you don't know what that code means, but the people over at crowd health, they have people that worked in that industry and they know what that code means. And they can tell that person to go shove it up their ass. They're not paying that or their client is not going to pay that. That's what it takes nowadays, right? So, but the service, which has been around for, you know, a while now, seems to be doing what it says. And they also help crowdfund some bills for you and stuff like that after it's all said and done. But now they've integrated lightning payments with the help of the Breeze SDK. If you forgot that Breeze exists, it does. And it's a good product. Let's check this shit out. Shinobi's writing at Bitcoin Magazine. Crowd Health a crowdfunding platform for paying medical expenses in lieu of an insurance policy is integrating lightning payments with Breeze's Lightning SDK. The United States spends more than twice the average amount of money on healthcare in comparison to other developed nations in similar economic situations. Medical costs are one of the leading causes of bankruptcy, of bankruptcy in the United States. It is not a secret that the medical system in the U.S. has its issues. Our own healthcare system is sick. I can hear Alanis Morissette's ironic song spinning in my head, even though every single sentence in that song has nothing to do with being an irony, which I think is actually what is it's ironic. The song isn't a, everything in the song that she says, if you listen to that song, every single thing is a coincidence. That's not irony. However, because the song named ironic is talking about coincidence is itself 
Ironic. See how that shit works? She actually may be more brilliant than you give her credit for. Anyway, the crowd health model is based on offering an alternative to the conventional insurance policy at a cheaper price point. For a monthly membership fee of, oh, $50 a month, far lower than most insurance plans, Crowd Health will negotiate medical bills to get the cheapest price possible, handle locating care providers and managing bills, discounted prescriptions on drugs, access to their members' crowdfunding services, and more. The crowdfunding aspect is the core distinguishing feature of the platform. Instead of charging a proper premium to create an insurance fund to draw from paying claims, users of the platform contribute their monthly fee for the bill negotiation and other features directly from CrowdHealth and depend on voluntary crowdfunding from other members in order to meet the funding requirements for actually paying the medical expenses. The idea, which seems to be working for its current 5,000 member user base, is that people will pay it forward to assist others in the network with their expenses under the hope that those people will pay it back into the future if they ever need to cover an unexpected medical expense. Prior to Bree's integration, the company had been functioning over traditional fiat payment rails. And while this has successfully worked to move funds between members, it introduces two main overheads that are fundamentally not addressable on these rails. First, the payment fees. A bank wire transfer could easily reach 20 to 30 bucks for a single transfer, which eats into the donated funds that could be going to the members' medical expenses. It also introduces an implicit minimum amount. If a wire is needed to transfer the money, will someone pay a $20 fee to donate two bucks to somebody's bill? Lightning, however, can improve the situation drastically. For mere pennies in transfer funds, for any amount, the network is capable of transferring within liquidity limitations. Secondly, the time required for payment settlement. Bank transfers can take days to weeks to settle under some circumstances. If a medical procedure is needed urgently, this settlement delay could actually cause physical harm to members if the care provider requires payment up front or shortly after a procedure is done with credit. Lightning again helps. Settling payments with complete finality in seconds. Through their Lightning integration using Breeze SDK, an already innovative new business model can streamline its cost and potentially improve the scalability of its members crowdfunding each other's medical expenses. Okay, so... I've heard really good things about crowd health. And when I first heard about them, I I think I I think I was at, yeah, I was still on Twitter at the time. I hadn't been kicked off yet. And I was able to ask a question directly to and I can't remember one of the, it's like one of the co-founders, I can't remember his name offhand, but I asked directly in a tweet thread and I said, "Well, let me let me give you a scenario." Let's say my family already has medical insurance, the kind that you get from an employer. Would I be able to buy your service and have you help negotiate those bills down? And would that actually help the insurance company that we already have, like Blue Cross Blue Shield? And the answer was yes. And I don't want to go any further than that because that's all that I, I mean, he didn't just say yes. He said a couple of other things, but it seemed to me that 
this is a way of having kind of secondary insurance without having two insurance policies. And from what I've heard from, you know, one of the the co-founders when they talk on podcasts and whatnot is they've been in this game long enough to know that one of the pivotal pieces of information that, or one of the pivotal things that happens during the time is the patient not negotiating with the hospital or the doctors because they think that their bill is too high. They don't do it. And the reason is because they send you to the code officer and the code officer only speaks in code. Did you get an IV? That code is 157580 slash B Z or something like that. You don't know that that's an IV. An aspirin? They're not going to tell you that you took a $50 aspirin. They're going to tell you that code 6784 slash Z cost 50 bucks. There's no way you can negotiate with that. You have to have people that can actually speak the code language. That's where we are in the world, ladies and gentlemen. We actually have to have translators to help us negotiate with another human being the fact that an aspirin does not cost 50 bucks. I don't know. Go check out CrowdHealth. I've heard nothing but good things about them. Okay, uh, the Bitcoin Freedom Festival 2024 is going to take place in Costa Rica between January 18th and 20th of 2024. Uh, Let's see. Bitcoin Freedom Festival is a three-day event aimed at exploring Bitcoin lifestyle in Uvita, Costa Rica, which was where the uh, Nostra conference was. Uh, the event will include daily talks, workshops, group chats about Bitcoin freedom, Nostra spirituality, side quests, and evening networking events in the setting of a local circular Bitcoin economy. Tickets are available at pretix.bitcoinjungle.app BFF tickets. Uh, just just search Bitcoin Jungle uh, and Bitcoin Freedom Festival 2024, and I'm sure you will you will find it. So if you're interested in going to that, then do that. And Threads, uh, Mark Zuckerberg's uh, answer to Twitter, which literally is getting no press until today, because they are officially starting to test ActivityPub integration. That's right. The people that use Threads and Facebook are coming to you on Mastodon, ActivityPub, and it won't be too long before you start seeing that shit injected into Noster. So be aware. Be aware. Before Threads dies, <laughs> it's you're going to see the idiots from over there, probably on Noster, at one point or another, somebody's going to build, because there's already, I think there's at least one person working on the ActivityPub to Noster, um, bridge. Well, once, once, uh, Zuckerberg gets finished with their bridge from threads to activity pub, then there's going to be flow through. So be prepared to see people doing nothing but talking about how this is going to be the most important election of all time forever and ever and ever. So just, just be aware. All right. I'm losing my voice, so I'm going to cut it right here at 63 minutes and 18 seconds, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.